morning. Still have the uh, the stones from last week. I wonder if anyone, um, if you took that uh, that on board. Um, hopefully, that was a meaningful thing, because the Christian life really is about letting go of things in order to take up other things. It's a constant sense of letting go of the past, letting go of sin, letting go of um, resentments, in order to take on the things that God has for us. I'm going to uh, show a picture. Uh, in a minute, which is a bit gross, so prepare yourselves, okay? Warning. Uh, there is a point to it, though. This is a picture, if we go to the next one, this is a picture in Shanghai in 2013, and there's, there's workers in protective gear because they're protecting themselves from disease. Uh, that year, the Huangpo River near the city, which provides much of the city's drinking water, and this is a city of 20 million people, a strange thing happened. Dead pigs started floating down the river. And uh, the city workers, they're fishing them out of the river because they've got to pick them up and dispose of them. So they clean them up and the problem was solved, right? You've got to have to ask a deeper question, haven't you? In all, 16,000 dead pigs floated down the river. It was massive uh, to get rid of them, clean them up. And you would think the problem was solved when they did that, but just wait a while and more pigs started falling down the river. So cleaning up the pigs didn't solve the problem because they didn't get to the source of the problem. The source wasn't, uh, hadn't stopped and they kept floating down the river. So how are you going to fix the problem? You can't just clean up the pigs that are near you. You've got to go to the source and do something about that. You've got to go back upstream. Now, it turns out up the river, there had been an outbreak of a virus and the farmers up there, they decided it was easier for them to just chuck the pigs in the river when they died rather than actually dealing with them properly and disposing them properly. So as far as, far as the farmers were concerned, up the river, the problem was solved. They threw the pigs in the river, but it created a problem downstream. So in a river, if you're going to solve the problem, you've got to go upstream where the problem begins, and you've got to find a solution there. And I want to say that, as, as is the case with the river, it is true in our spiritual lives as well. If you want to solve the problem, you can't just deal with it today. You've got to deal with the source. You've got to go back to where the things start. Now, this is a, this is a, um, this is a result of a survey. You can't read it, but I'm going to read some of the issues in there. You ever notice that Nowadays, Christians are kind of seen by society as maybe not great and the church is not great. You ever felt that vibe out there? Uh, many people think about Christianity in unfavourable terms. So research was done by McCrindle Australia, a research company, and they were finding out what offends the world most about Christians and the church. And these were the issues, and I'll read them off. First was church abuse. Everything from priests abusing children to church leaders being involved in scandals. Second one, religious wars. How could people who adhere to a religion think about the Crusades and other conflicts today? How could that be true? Hypocrisy. Christians not practicing what they preach. Judging others. Christians acting self-righteously. Pointing out the faults in others in society. Issues around money. Asking for money and misusing money. Judging... Uh, Sorry, authoritarian style. The church seems to apply a lot of rules and regulations, people said. 
It's outdated. The church's beliefs and practices are out of touch with the world today. And exclusivity. The church seems to separate itself from society and the world. Now, that's a long list. And I think when you hear these things, you can probably understand that people kind of feel, if the church is like that, you understand why they feel a bit um, offended. Quite frankly, the reputation of the church and Christianity has probably declined in our society. Now, there's a flip side to this. Other surveys will indicate if you ask someone, do you know any Christians? And you say, what are they like? They'll say things like kind, they're caring, they're honest. And so there's some good things attached to the reputation of the church and the Christians. But there's also some bad things attached. Across the board, we're not seen as particularly positive by many people. So there's a problem. Bad things have happened in the church and through the lives of Christians, and they continue to happen. God's glory isn't seen as clearly as it could be through us in the world. I think we recognize this problem. And we probably recognize to some extent that problem's in all of us. Mahatma Gandhi, he's the Indian social justice campaigner, uh, he made this comment. Uh, he said, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. He was famous for actually really trying to take seriously Jesus and his teachings, although he didn't see much of that in what he saw as the church. So this issue of Christians not reflecting God's glory, not, not being the people they could be in society, judgmental, critical, making mistakes and all that stuff, this is like the pigs in the river. They stink. Having pigs in the river is a problem. God's plan is there would not be pigs in the river. Quite the contrary, we are meant to be the light of the world. We are meant to be the salt of the earth. We're a holy people called to sing the praises who call us out of darkness into his wonderful light. People are meant to look at us individually and the church corporately, and they're meant to see the character of God. They're meant to see Jesus. But many people aren't seeing that. They've learned not to trust. And they don't sense good in the church or in Christians. They're seeing the pigs in the river and they're not liking it. And I can't blame them. So how do we get to the source of where the pigs are coming from? How do we stop them from coming down the river and creating this reality? Now we're going to read today from Ezekiel 36, which has been referred to. It's a conversation between the prophet Ezekiel and God. And it tells us that you know the pigs being in the river is not a recent thing. This is something that's been going on a long time. They've been coming down the river for a long time. So let's read. It says this, Again, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, when the people of Israel were living in their own land, they defiled it by their conduct and their actions. So I poured out my wrath on them because they had shed blood in the land and because they had defiled it with their idols. I dispersed them among the nations and they were scattered through the countries. I judged them according to their conduct and their actions. And wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. For it was said of them, these are the Lord's people, and yet they had to leave this, his land. I had concern for my holy name, which the people of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. Again, this is not a, not a pretty picture. Essentially, it's saying that the people of God in the land had defiled the land by their sinfulness shedding blood, worshipping idols. 
They failed to live the way God wanted them to. They were meant to be an example to the other nations, and instead they profane the name of the Lord. And they, then they were scattered, and as they went, they profaned the name of the Lord. Uh, they were God's people. They behaved so badly, God had to kick them out, and they continued to behave badly in the nations. Wherever they went, God's reputation in the world, instead of being lifted up by them, was actually brought down by them. That's what the prophet is saying. There were pigs in the river even back then. And God is not happy when there are pigs in the river. Let's read on. Uh, Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. So God says, I'm not happy with things being this way. I'm not happy with the pigs in the river. I'm not happy that my people are not known for honoring my name and reflecting my character. So I'm going to do something about it. And when I do, the nations will know that I am the Lord. God's plan, as always, is to reveal his holiness through his people. And we need to see that. This theme runs through the Bible. God reveals himself and he reveals his holiness through those he calls to himself. Uh, It happens in amazing things like the Exodus, where he rescues his people. But he also reveals it through the way they live, through the, the relationships they have, through the community that they build. God has pointed out the problem to Ezekiel and said, it's not happening like I meant it to happen. Uh, they fail to honour me in their lives. And he's about to say something which is going to be the solution to this. He's saying, I'm going to do something. I'm going to clean up the pigs. And I'm going to go to the source and I'm going to stop the pigs from appearing. Let's see what the solution is here. What God says I'm going to do because of the problems that have occurred. Okay, the next verses. Now, just, I'll just give you... I've skipped a couple of verses because the verses here at the start are saying it's all about Israel going back to the land. Now, I'm not saying that's not real, but I'm saying that's not uh, a promise I'm going to deal with today. I want to deal with the wider promise, which is to everyone. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So God's solution to the problem of his name being dishonored and misrepresented in the world by his people. What's God going to do? He's going to empower his people to live for him. This is how you clean up the pigs in the river. This is how you deal with the source. It's gonna, God's going to bring complete transformation to his people. And the plan's going to happen in three stages. I'm going to go through each of those stages. Okay, we'll go back to, this, uh, back to the pigs. A different shot. You can see them from a different angle. Uh, the first step is cleansing. So verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you'll be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and your idols. And theologically, I think this this is forgiveness. This is justification. It's God removing the defilement from our lives. 
he deals with it. He deals with the fact that there are pigs in the river. There is defilement. The Anglican prayer book says this, we have done what we ought not to have done and we have left undone what we ought to have done. So there are sins of commission, stuff we've done, and there are sins of omission, things we've failed to do. Both of these things are a problem. Both of these things are the pigs. So let's get rid of the pigs. Let's clean them out. Let's get them out of the river. And Jesus on the cross provides cleansing, forgiveness, release from both the things we've done and the things we've failed to do. He carries our sin. He removes our impurities. He cleanses us from the stain. Hallelujah. Jesus sets us free from the defilement of sin. And the pigs are gone. Our past and our present sins are removed. We are forgiven. It's an amazing thing that God has done. But if you wait long enough, you can have the cleansing. You'll notice something that even though your sins are forgiven, at some point you realize you've sinned again. Being forgiven hasn't prevented you from sinning. The pigs have been cleaned up, the defilement's gone. Even though that's true, there's another pig in the river. It starts floating down. It's coming out of my life. We haven't yet gone upstream and dealt with the source of the pigs. Where are they coming from? We've been forgiven. We've been cleansed of our sin. But the factory that produced the sin is still operating. We are not yet completely transformed. So to trace up the river to investigate the wrong things, the cruel things, the selfish things. We go up the river in terms of the pigs, but in our lives, we have to go into the heart. We have to go to the core of our personality because that's where the pigs are breeding. Our hearts are like a pig farm. We're breeding little porkers and throwing them in the river because at core, we are selfish. We refuse to surrender to God. In our fallenness, Theologians will say we are unable not to sin. There's something about our lives that just continually produces sin when we don't have the capacity of ourselves to live the life that God requires. Something happened when Adam and Eve took the forbidden fruit. Something changed to them. They lost their innocence. And something happened in their hearts. Their hearts began producing unclean things. The Bible will tell us the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? There's something about our heart. Not only are our hearts corrupt, we think we're okay. We're deceived about the level of corruption that's in us. Our independence from God and the corruption of our heart means that even if we're forgiven, we still produce the pigs. We still sin. Cleansing is good and necessary. It's the first step. But we need to go to the next step. We've got to do something about the heart that produces the sin. Okay, let's go to the next slide. This is the December 1967 edition of Newsweek. And there was one story that dominated the headlines in 1967. The South African surgeon Christian Barnard had just performed the first heart transplant patient on a human being, the first successful one. Amazing. People would have a diseased heart, a heart that there was no hope for this heart. In the past, maybe you could have some medication, uh, maybe, you know, you might get a little bit better, but you were terminal. Now, heart transplant, 
uh, you can get to the point where there is hope. Heart transplant surgery opened a new door. All hope was lost, but now you could, this heart was finished, but you could get a new one and they could put it in and you would actually survive. That would give you a new life. And the slogan there says, new hearts for old. God knows that as human beings, we don't just need cleansing. Cleansing we need, but that's not all we need. We need new hearts because the sin in our life comes from within. It comes from our heart. When we choose to hurt others, when we choose to do the wrong thing, when we choose to indulge ourselves, when we choose to worship idols, these choices come from somewhere. They come from out of our heart. And our hearts are dark, deceitful above all things. The motivations within us are not pure. And we're probably not even aware of the depth of this in us. Uh, we want to satisfy ourselves. We push people out of the way to do that. We've, we're focused on getting our desires, our longings, our success, our pleasure. And again, not the physical heart. Spiritually, this is deeper down. This is the core of our being inside us. The mind, the emotions, and the will. The part that makes us us, there's something wrong there. The heart, as I've said, is where the pigs are born. They're being thrown in the river. Choices are being made deep within us. When Jesus spoke to the Jewish leaders about clean, he was talking about what does it mean to be clean. They were talking about the type of food you eat. You've got to eat the right foods. You've got to eat the kosher foods. And he said, food goes in and goes out. It doesn't change your heart because it's out of the heart that sinful choices and realities come. That's what makes a person unclean. It's not what you eat. It's not about your diet. It's not about any of that stuff. It's not the external stuff. It's what's coming from within you, not what's going into you. From within the depths of our heart, that's where the work has to be done. Now, again, this is the uh, same guy. Next, next slide. This is, again, Christian Barnard. The hard heart... The diseased and sinful heart, you need a heart transplant because something's wrong with your heart. Our hearts, resistant to God and his ways. God says, I'm going to do a heart transplant. The old heart is going to be taken out and a new heart, a new spirit is going to be given to you. The old heart was hard, it could not submit to God, it was focused on us. God says... It's heart transplant time. I'm taking out that heart and I'm giving you a new one. A heart that is responsive to God. A soft heart, a heart of flesh. That's a new beginning in life. The old is going to be taken away. You're going to have something new within you. Now, I think most Christians, theologically, we're fully aware of the death of Jesus on the cross. That achieves forgiveness for our sins. We know that. Most of us get that. We're washed. We're cleansed. We even say, some people say, we're washed in the blood. We make the connection between the death of Jesus on the cross and the forgiveness of our sins. Clear. That's atonement. We're made right with God. The pigs are cleaned from the river. But I wonder how many of us are aware that on the cross it was not just forgiveness of sins that Jesus was achieving for us. Romans 6.3 says this, all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. I wonder if we know that. 
Not only did Jesus die for me, that my sins might be forgiven, I died in him so that I would no longer be enslaved to sin. In a heart transplant, you've got to cut the old heart out. It's not, you, don't, you don't put a new one and leave the old one there. Our heart is, is, cannot be kept and repurposed. You've got to die. You've got to lose something. The great thing is that when Jesus died, I died in him. My old life ended. And when he rose, I was given a new life. God doesn't take my old life and say, let's fix it up. He says, no. In the cross, the end of my old life occurs. And in the resurrection, I get a new life. You can't fix the old life. It is unfixable. It is a heart of stone. It needs to be completely removed and a new heart put in us. And essentially, that's what the word born again means. I've got a new life from God. The old life's dominated by sin and selfishness. It could not change. It needed a transplant. It wasn't just a little fix that was needed. We needed a new heart. It was diseased and sick. You can't change it by trying hard. You can't change it through religion. Somebody has to perform a transplant on you. You can't perform a transplant on yourself. You need a surgeon. And for us, Jesus is the surgeon. We die in him. His death accomplishes our death. That puts an end to the old life. When we get baptized, we are acting out the reality. We are, when we get baptized, we go down into the water. That's the death and the burial. You only bury dead people. If you get buried in baptism, you have already died. You died in Christ. When you come up out of the water, that is a resurrection. It is a new life that you've been given. Baptism pictures the reality that has happened when, when we, were, we were included in Christ on the cross. The cross put Jesus to death for our sin, absolutely. But it also put me to death. I was in Christ dying with him. Removal of the old heart, heart transplant. Not just fixing the old heart, but removal and installation of a new one. I died with Christ, I was buried with him, and I rise with him to a new life. Notice verse 26, it says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I can't do it myself. God says, I'm going to do that for you. I can't stop my heart producing evil. I've got to enter into the death of someone else to put an end to it. That's the starting point of experiencing this new reality, this new heart. I can experience a heart that no longer produces pigs. This new life is in me. I have died with Christ. I've been raised with Christ and Romans 6.11 says, you must consider yourself to be dead to sin and alive to Christ. You must, that must be your perspective and your reality. The old is gone, the new has come. It's been done for us by another, by God through Christ. But I think just as many of us, you know, uh, sometimes we, our experiences and what's going on inside, we struggle to experience forgiveness 
Because if whatever's gone on in our life, we think, well, God couldn't forgive me, or I haven't got the experience of forgiveness of that sin. We might know it intellectually. We might know that Jesus has died for us. We believe that. But we can still struggle with the experience of forgiveness. I think we can also struggle with the experience of having a new heart. Because it feels like I'm still struggling with the old stuff. But in that place, we have to, to realise it and then we have to continue to trust in it. God, you said, my sins are forgiven in Christ. Despite what I feel, eventually I will have the experience if I hold on to his truth. It's the same with the new heart. I might feel, gee, I'm still tempted. I've still got stuff in my life like this. But I must, not, I must consider myself dead to sin and alive to God. And the experience will eventually come as I hold on to what is true. Sometimes we have the negative experience and we let go of what has actually been done for us. And we start to say, well, I'm just stuck in this. I can't change. My old life is too strong. God has done it for us. We need to move into that. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. That is your reality. That, your experience might be there, but this is the reality. And eventually you can have the experience, but you've got to hold on to the reality. Now, I've put this picture up deliberately. This is Christian Barnard. What's he doing? He's smoking. <laughs> now, I'm not trying to have a go at you for your smoker. This is like 1967. Almost everyone did. He was born in 1922. The whole generation was smokers. But you try going to a hospital today and say, I need a heart transplant. And the doctor will say, you cannot have surgery in any way on your heart while you are smoking because the risks are multiplied greatly. Now, why did I pick the picture, put the picture up? Uh, because it's incongruous. We know that he's the greatest heart surgeon in history. He became very famous after this. And he's having a puff, right? <laughs> It's, it's incongruous with the work that he's doing, uh, making people, giving them new hearts. There's no way they would allow you to do that today. It doesn't seem to fit. And so what I'm saying is, sometimes our experience doesn't fit the reality that Jesus has done for us. It's incongruous. My experience says I'm still back there. I just want to encourage you, hold on to the reality of what Jesus has done. Your old heart is gone, you have a new heart from God, hold on to that reality, even though your experience might suggest otherwise. Eventually, you will have the experience. Sure, we still have struggles. We still fall back sometimes. Because, you know, there is the potential for living the old way still. But trust him, his death and resurrection, in that you have died and you have been raised. That is the new identity. You are born again. A new life has begun. Hang on to the truth of that reality. The old is gone and the new has come. And we need to continually experience and consider ourselves in the new. So, so far we've had two incredible promises. One is, uh, I will cleanse you from your sin. I'll make you pure. Take away the impurity. And I'll take away this old heart. I'll give you a heart transplant. They're the two realities. And you might think, well, that's enough if, if I'm cleansed. And if I've got a new heart and I've got a new reality, maybe that's enough. Isn't that all I need? I feel like a steak knives advertisement, you know, but there's more. This last one, um, another, the last component of the prophecy. So verse 27 says this, I will put my spirit in you 
and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So God said, I'll sprinkle clean water on you, be clean. That's forgiveness. Uh, Cleans up the pigs. He also said he'll take out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. We're crucified with Christ. New life has come, buried with him, raised with him. That's like cleaning up the pigs up the river. They're not being thrown in anymore. The work of God goes to the source of what we need in this life. The supply of pigs can be turned off with this new life in Christ. But the third part of the promise, the third thing that God said he would do, he didn't say you're to do it, he said he will do it. The stages of God's work on the screen, like out of the story of the Bible, uh, that's the manger, like it's the star, and that represents the coming of Jesus, obviously the death of Jesus for our sin, and then the resurrection of Jesus, but then Jesus is exalted to the right hand of God. He's placed in a place of all authority. And we talked a little bit last week about when Jesus comes to the Father, the Father's promise, the Father has promised the Holy Spirit, the transaction, the cross, the work is finished, Jesus comes to the Father, the Father, uh, if you like, then the way for the Holy Spirit to come from the Father to Jesus poured out upon the church, and the promise is for all the believers. That's the, that's, the, that's the pattern of the story. And you see the believers there with flames on their head. They're experiencing the reality of the presence and power of God. That's where the story goes. That's the third thing God said he would do. It's not just the early disciples. It's for all the believers in all of history. There's not just a special group. It's not just for the Galileans. or It's for all the disciples. Every person, God himself, come to live in every believer. They obeyed his teachings as the master when he was here on earth with them. And he promised, I will send another to be with you forever. But again, sometimes we don't have the experience of the promise. I think there's, a book, there's an incident in the book of Acts, which I think is instructive. Now, it says this, um, this is Acts 19, While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, that's interesting When they're asked if they've received the Holy Spirit, they said, we haven't even heard about a Holy Spirit. Despite the promise that God would put his spirit in people, they haven't even heard of it. They probably heard a message similar to what John the Baptist preached. Repentance, turn to God uh, and the coming kingdom. That's the message they would have heard. My point is this, your experience of God often relates to the gospel that you hear. Goes on, Paul said, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So Paul said John was pointing to someone who was coming after to Jesus. They heard the good news. And then they heard an updated version of the good news, which was, it's not just 
that the kingdom has come and repentance. It's that Jesus has come as the Messiah. They heard this updated version. And then they had the experience of the Spirit, which was the promise of that updated version of the gospel. But my, th- my point is this. Their experience of God related directly to the gospel that they heard. It was limited by the shape of the good news that they heard. And I I want to say that can be true of us also. Our experience can be limited to what we've heard, what we've understood, and maybe what people have told us is not possible. Most of us have an experience of forgiveness. We experience what God Jesus has done on the cross. And often when people say, what is the gospel? They say, well, Jesus died for your sins so you can be forgiven. So people experience that. They believe it. They come into the experience. I suggest fewer people have a conscious awareness that not only did he die for, die for our sin, but he actually dealt with, we have, he, he put an end to the old heart and gave us a new one. I think that's less emphasized, but it's just as real in God's work. The way to a greater experience of that, maybe just to sit with it and say, I'm a new person in Christ. I've died with him. My old self died. My new self has been now born. I'm going to live in that reality. Sit with that because if that is your truth, one day you will eventually experience the reality of it. And in Ezekiel, I'll put my spirit on you, in you and move you to be careful to follow my decrees. And I suggest there are many, perhaps in the evangelical church and the Western world, we've had controversies about the Holy Spirit, Sometimes we've never even talked about the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I see people have theology statements and they talk about the Father, the Son, and then there's just a few words, and we believe in the Spirit. It's like there's a conspiracy not to say anything, not even to mention or speak of, because people have been afraid that there's been some excesses that have gone on in the past, and they've been scared to engage with God in what we might call a spiritually vulnerable way. And so because of what they've heard, their experience is limited to what they've been told. Don't be open to that stuff they've been told. And so they haven't been. And so they haven't experienced that. I've even heard people teach people as new believers, put your trust in Jesus, but you won't experience anything. You have to take it by faith. Now, sometimes people don't experience anything immediately, But I'm saying the New Testament has all sorts of experiences of people, and that should be our guide. People who experience God coming into their lives, initially when they become believers, but also later on, particularly connected with times of prayer or mission. I was at a Christian event this week, and a song came on, and the opening line is this, What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? Nothing wrong with that. But then it says, There is no more for heaven now to give. And I was taken aback by that line because I thought, there is no more for heaven to give. Jesus himself promised that there is the Holy Spirit. There's the third person of the Trinity, the promise of the Father. Heaven has a lot more to give. I don't want to diminish. I know what they're saying by those lines. They're saying that we don't want to diminish Jesus. But sometimes in trying to exalt Jesus, We've forgotten completely about the promise of the Father whom Jesus opened the door for us, which is the Spirit. So we haven't talked about it, and sometimes we haven't had experience of it. 
I think we've downplayed the role of the Holy Spirit in the Western church and in evangelical churches generally because we wanted to lift up Jesus. Now, lifting up Jesus is a good thing, but lifting up Jesus doesn't exclude the idea of the promise of the Father in the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus came to bring for us. And I think perhaps that's why we struggle with experience in the Western church because we've actually downplayed We've lifted Jesus up. We've got a lot of good ideas and theology, but our experience sometimes is lacking because we've actually said to people, a bit scary to go there. But you read the New Testament, it's all over the place. We've been heavy on ideas, but light on experience. I think our experience of God follows on from what we believe about God and tends to rise to the level of our expectation. of what we're told, and probably also the people around us. So we've been scared of excesses that might have happened in the past, we might have heard about them, may have even seen them, and we kind of don't have the types of experiences we read about in the New Testament. Because, hey, if there's no more for heaven to give, then what, what would you expect? It's all been done. Expect forgiveness, expect maybe a renewal of a heart, but the active presence of God in your life it's kind of been downplayed. I want to say that the active presence of God in your life, that's what Jesus died to give us. The promise remains. And it remains for God's people to know and experience all the realities, the, the very presence of God. I'll cleanse you from your impurities. Absolutely, you can experience forgiveness of sin. I'll take out the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You can experience the reality of a new life. I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You can experience God's presence in your life, guiding and empowering you to live for God in this world. I want to pray. I wonder, can we stand as we pray? If you're comfortable, you know, if you're not comfortable, that's fine. But um, sometimes people say when they're talking about they're making yourself vulnerable to God. <laughs> And it's like receiving. Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. When I'm going to receive, I just receive like that. So if you're comfortable with that, let's pray. Physical things that we do make a difference. The Bible says many times, raise your hands, uh, kneel. And this is just a physical reality to say, Lord, we want to receive from you. Father, where our lives have brought your reputation into question or disrepute, would you forgive us? Forgive us both for doing what we ought not to have done, but also not doing what we ought to have done. We recognize we need cleansing. Lord, thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all our sin. We receive that by faith. Lord, we also need heart surgery. Thank you that we were crucified with Christ, that our old self died in his death and in his resurrection. We have a new life, a new life that is created in true righteousness and holiness. We receive that new life by faith also. And Lord, thank you that the Spirit has come to live in us 
May we know the experience of the presence of God in us. Lord, would you move us to follow your decrees and to keep your laws. Use us as a people to bring glory to your name so that your name will not be profaned or defiled but will be honoured by our words and our actions wherever we go. Lord, may we come into the fullness of the experience, the experience of the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit in us, moving us, guiding us, empowering us to live for you. Be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take a seat. Thanks, Mike. And if anything came up for you there,